Hi there, and welcome to the podcast, Life as a, a show intently focused on exploring and unearthing the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. There are several defining elements of living within the 21st century, and technology would certainly be one for the sheer impact it has had on our lives. You could also argue that war and disease have also made an early mark as well in terms of defining ways of life and living for many of us around the world. However, there is one more undeniably pertinent detail, which has truly shifted our mindsets, disrupted industry, and impacted lives. What I'm referring to, of course, is the environment and issues of sustainability. Our way of life, our future as a living organism on this planet, no less, is unquestionably tied into how well we manage this issue prognosticators have not been overly optimistic about things moving forward based on our track record of managing the environment to this point. However, this has not stopped companies and people like our guest today from taking a stand and attempting to leverage all of what we have at our disposal as far as knowledge and tech to affect positive change relating to the environment. Lynn Perish is the head of customer success at Overstory climate tech vegetation intelligence company that is using satellite imagery to analyze and understand the world's vegetation with a particular focus on mitigating wildfires. Before launching herself into tech and companies focused on helping to solve the climate crisis, Lynn had actually started her career in the public sector working for the United Nations World Food Program and then in the diplomatic service of her home country, Luxembourg. She quickly realized that while intellectually stimulating, she was not going to be a public servant and decided to break into the fast-paced world of tech startups, specifically B2B software-as-a-service companies. And she's been part of the tech startup world for the past 10 years in London and currently New York. Lynn built a successful career building customer-facing teams called Customer Success in Startup Land for multiple high-growth companies across different industries. She worked across the fintech and marketing tech world, but then decided to marry her passion of solving important issues impacting humanity with her skill set in building teams in high-growth companies and join the burgeoning world of climate tech. Lynn realized that you don't have to be a solar engineer to work at a climate tech company. Anyone can turn their career into a climate-positive one. Investment in the industry has tripled in recent years, and a lot of different skill sets are needed in order to attack the problem from varying angles. With all that in mind, Lynn, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. Hi. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I think uh, what your company does, you know, is absolutely fascinating, and I think also your career arc as well is was quite compelling. So I'm really eager to uh, to get into all of it. Quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, totally. The, uh, the first segment here is something called Coloring Wikipedia. And basically, as my listeners would know, um, I take the, the guest profession as defined by Wikipedia and just sort of read off the definition. I like to do it for a couple of reasons. One, it brings everyone up to speed. And then two, it offers like a nice jumping off point, I think, for the guests to, uh, to explore the profession as defined by Wikipedia. Now, I do have a bit of bad news. <laughs> Wikipedia doesn't have a definition of your profession. 
you know, I have been able to, to improvise here and I found uh, something online which sort of encapsulates it, but I will throw this qualifier in. It is incredibly basic. Maybe after listening to it, you can sort of relate it to what you do at Overstory. Anyway, let me read that off for you here, head of customer success, and uh, I'll ask for your comments after. Here goes. Customer success heads are responsible for understanding what their customers want, how to improve their experiences in the product, and increasing customer loyalty. Again, super basic, I know. Yeah, maybe you could speak to each of those points. Maybe that would be the, the best way to kind of kick things off. Sure. Um, it does encapsulate that. And I think it is kind of a new function within, it, it's a, a function of every B2B SaaS company in all startups. You have like account management, customer success teams right now, but it's true that sort of like in terms of the definition, it can also mean slightly different things in different companies. But what it does mean in essence is sort of like everything post-sales. Everyone sells a product, whether it's a software product or any other kind of product. And then there's this, you go on this like year-long journey with a customer, which in my world has always entailed an onboarding phase and implementation of a certain software that includes, you know, how, what does the customer want? How do we get them to value? What do we, do we need to do to get them from A to B? to Z ultimately, how do they, uh, you know, track adoption? Do they actually use our products? A lot of these startups, they're bringing something completely new to the table. So how do we ensure customers see the value? They start using it. And ultimately it obviously comes into the, do they want to renew the contracts? Do they want to buy more stuff? How do we get these customers to be real champions of our brand? Like that they talk about us, that they refer us to other customers. So it kind of entails everything that is in the post-sales world. But yeah, the kind of nuances of it are always a bit different depending on the company. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess in terms of like what you do at Overstory, could you maybe fill listeners in a little bit about that? Maybe you making reference to, to some of the, I don't know, points of what you just spoke about as they relate to that company? Totally. Yeah. So at Overstory, it's really interesting because we kind of have this new technology that is like using remote sensing or satellite imagery and we're applying it to, and in our case, it's right now electric utilities that are really kind of focused on using that to understand their vegetation. Mm -hmm. But it's like a new technology that we bring to that, uh, to that kind of sector. They're already kind of like playing around with it and dipping their toes into it, but there's a lot more sort of education to be done. And um, so I think that's a key differentiator. Sometimes, you know, we have companies that just know they want to go buy an analytics platform. So they go out there and they find an analytics provider and they buy one versus here. It's sort of like, we, we know there's new technologies out there. We want to test them. We want to see what value they bring. Yeah. So the focus is much more on that value proposition. My work is much more focused on, obviously like we need to get, we have geospatial engineers, we get the imagery, we kind of process it. We lay it into our product. There's a whole kind of implementation that goes on right. from that perspective. But I think my work is much more focused on really, really understanding our customers' needs. What are they trying to achieve with this technology and how can we prove that? Yeah. And it makes it kind of more interesting because it becomes much more of a consultative approach um, versus just sort of rolling something out and then like going with it. Yeah, totally. I'd imagine as well, I mean, anything within tech and obviously like the industry you're within, I mean, it's, it's evolving rapidly, right? I mean, even just in, in the top in the bio, I mean, the investment is what tripled, I guess it's one statistic that, that's out there. So with that in mind, I'm sure there's just constant change. It's just like a constant churning of, of information that's coming in. And then obviously like companies like yours that you're working within are leveraging a lot of that. And some of your customers probably too. I mean, if certainly they have an interest, that's why you, you've developed some sort of a relationship with them, but also too, probably like they don't fully 
grasp or comprehend all that is capable. So it's constantly like, not only for yourself, you're probably learning, you know, what we can do, what are our limits, but then also too, it's about probably educating the customers about all these different options, or perhaps even at times just narrowing down and trying to find exactly what they want to do in terms of all the the possibilities. I'm guessing that would also be part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. We're kind of like almost like educating each other. We're learning a lot about yeah. from the customer about what it is actually they need to achieve with vegetation management. Right. Um, and then we're we're teaching them about how, how they can start using satellite imagery. And there's other technologies in the remote sensing, but it could be LIDAR technology or drones. And but I think now we have this, we know that like satellites at scale can do a lot. And, and it's fascinating what we can do. We can see like the health of trees. You know, we can kind of identify tree species from satellites and really kind wow. of make them understand um, what where the risks are. This is all, you know, with the goal of, you know, preventing wildfires versus just sort of like reacting to them. So it is. But yeah, it's kind of this mutual education that is constantly going on. And as a early stage company, also, we're learning a lot from our early customers right, and then right. we try to educate them about um, how we can kind of implement our technology within their processes and make it valuable for them like they're not yeah, going to spend money yeah. on actually influence the work they're doing afterwards it must be exciting for both parties involved i would imagine you know like what you're uncovering and all these different capabilities you're doing this one week but three months later suddenly you're able to take it to a different level just because the technological rate of change and everything else and then obviously for the customers you know <laughs> getting wind of that you know well this is what we just did but now the possibilities are going to be this this and this within you know a couple more months it must be really exciting yeah, I think in, in satellite imagery, and I'm also still, you know, learning a lot about this, I think prices are like, you know, going down and then there's the resolution of how you can now use high resolution imagery is, is a bit newer. So there, there's a lot of, and then obviously we're a company that's building out the product. So we're constantly releasing new functionality to kind of prove more value to the customers. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like, any, you know, we're building a product from scratch. Um, yeah. So there's definitely a lot that we can um you know, continuously release and it's very, it's changing very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side of things too, it must be a bit of a challenge. I would guess at times too, whereas like I had a guest on recently, um, an MIT uh, professor and her speciality was within uh, urban planning and big data. And she was saying that like, obviously technology is great and everything that she does, but it also creates, you know, a challenge at times where like, speaking of satellite imagery, when she had started, they were able to pinpoint down to like 15 meters by 15 meters. But then now where technology is at, they're pixelating down to like a piece of grass and they have to actually zoom back out to be able to get a better idea or a clear understanding of the, the space that they're working with now. So like the technology is so good that they have to almost like dial it back now, which creates sometimes, you know, issues at different points, probably. Yeah. Totally. I mean, there's that, but then I'm sure like, so we're looking at a lot of like 30 centimeter, you know, yeah. which is like pretty small when you look even right. like so much bigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think we're also like our customers, they actually have foresters um, and those people are used to going on the ground and looking at the tree and identifying. And so I think it's also that kind of convincing, you know, how can we we can't replace the, you know, a person standing in front of a tree and deciding what the health mm. of the tree is and what type of a tree it is. But we can empower these people to kind of see it at scale and under identifying like where is your risk areas and how do you kind of like yeah. uh, attack them. So it's also like, I think often it is about like empowering, you know, technology can sometimes be threatening to certain people's jobs as well. And this is a, so 
a lot. And this is not just in my company, it's sort of like empowering people to get, you know, elevate their work with technology or the solutions that are out there. Okay. In terms of what you do specifically, maybe you can return to that. You know, what would be a, a typical day for you or even say a typical week, perhaps? Right. I mean, in CS, it's sort of customer um, success. I mean, there's always the, the sessions you have there. You want to talk to your customers as often as possible. So you probably have a bunch of calls scheduled. You know, one is, you know, delivering a project to a customer, like onboarding another customer. You know, we're, you know, at one point it'll be like some customer was something's not working or like we got to fix a problem or kind of like do something new with them. And then you're having at the same time a conversation with one customer about, I don't know, renewing a contract or like, so, so kind of it changes yeah. a lot throughout yeah. the day, which I think is why it's exciting. You're kind of also at the intersection about like constantly communicating with the product team around like, you know, we got a lot of feedback that the customers want this type of functionality. How can we build that? And, you know, that, that communication point, you know, making sure from sales, we have a seam, seamless handover into the customer success so that we don't, you know, repeat everything with, with the customer. So I think we kind of sit at the intersection of like all these other teams internally. And then the day, I mean, if everything goes well, you obviously have your meetings planned, but then there's always like- Big asterisk there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's kind of, you know, dividing your time between onboarding and then, you know, focusing on existing customers and then customers that are still in a trial stage and then customers that are renewing and kind of, it's sort of a little bit like spread across that entire life cycle. And again, the reason why there's many interactions is because, you know, you want to have these customers for many years and kind of evolve with them. Gotcha. Okay. Before we move on to the next segment here, just to, to paint a, like a clearer picture, I guess, of what your company does per se, maybe, I don't know if you could shed some light on say like what, who would be a, a typical customer for your company and what would their needs be? And how does your company sort of serve those needs in essence, if that makes sense? Sure. Um, yeah. A lot of our customers right now are electric utility companies. So co-ops, that's like a, an American thing is sort of how they kind of organize themselves here, who, if you think about it, um, they manage, there's the power lines that run in the U.S., you know, across the Rocky Mountains and into like areas that are also very wildfire prone right now. Unfortunately, you hear it all around the news that there's tons of wildfires in California, Colorado, Montana, I mean, all along the West Coast, really. Texas, even everywhere. And what these companies are responsible for is the uh, the right of way. So if you think about the power lines that are running through towns and urban areas and rural areas, the areas around it and sort of there's a, a buffer kind of decided on, there's no vegetation allowed to be in there to touch the lines because that ignites a lot of wildfires. And so these people need to understand their, you know, thousands of miles of power lines and make sure that they're not posing a risk to igniting new wildfires, for example. Okay. Um, and so a tree falling into a power line can you know, damage their assets, create mm -hmm. an outage for their customers, which is not great. But then our purpose is on top of that, this kind of like wildfire, you know, do not ignite additional wildfires. They're yeah. being held more, more uh, liable for these kind of fires that they may spark themselves. So there was a huge budget actually allocated within utility companies towards vegetation management mm. and so they need to understand the network at scale and right now they're doing it you know there's there's crews going around in like wow. year-long cycles you know trimming trees and understanding it and you don't want to like just chop them all off you want to be a bit careful about these need to be trimmed this is a dead tree that could fall into the line this is an area mm -hmm. that is wildfire risk this needs to be prioritized of the other one. It's it's a whole world in mm. and of itself. This is really, really and, interesting. Uh, though, yeah. 
Exactly. And so, you know, satellite imagery just gives them that network level view yeah. about where their risks are. So we can risk rank and say like in that area, you've got that percent of tree cover that encroaches into your right of way. And you should be prioritizing that. And actually this area, there are no trees even. So don't bother driving there. Wasting your resources on and that. And then yeah. I'm, I'm giving you the very sort of basic. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that's no. one element of sort of what we do, but that's a, a kind of a customer that needs to deal with this type mm. of uh, management. We also worked with, you know, Grain Forest Alliance and kind of other organization that under, try to understand forests for like deforestation projects, et cetera, at scale. So, but I think our key vertical that we're focused on right now is these utility companies. It's mm, mm. quite fascinating. I mean, obviously, like you just spoke about, you know, these wildfires in the last few years, we've been having so many more, not just within North America, but around the world, essentially, right? And Australia has been hit particularly hard. And we're probably going to get into this later on, but that's certainly a problem. But there is like reason for optimism at times. And I think it ties into like, you know, stories like this or companies like this that are finding ways to leverage technology to try to offset or mitigate some of these issues uh, at hand. But I'll save that for a little bit later in the conversation. But it is, uh, you know, it's nice to hear that there are, I wouldn't say solutions necessarily, but at least there are at times perhaps workarounds to, uh, to some of these problems that we are facing. So. With that in mind, maybe we can skip on over into a new segment here, something called a Q&A discovery. We can just kind of continue this back and forth. I'd like to lead off with this first question here, though. So again, in the intro, I sort of briefly introduced listeners to your past as a public servant and how that wasn't exactly the career path that you wanted. Maybe you could shed a little bit more light about what pulled you into the world of tech and uh, and startups. I mean, just a cursor at a glance at both. They're so utterly different in terms of pace and action, and I'm sure you can speak to that point quite a bit. Sure. I mean, I studied politics and so politics, international relations, I, you know, did some work with NGOs and at European Union, et cetera. And so, yeah. you know, landing my first job at the United Nations was, that's why I cannot at all downplay it. It was like an absolute dream come true, right? Yeah, and yeah. Feeling like you're, I don't know, you're in your Changing the world topic. maybe, or have an <laughs> opportunity to do so, right? <laughs> exactly. Like I always had that like humanitarian bone in the and uh, you know, feeling like you're at the forefront of politics and really understanding that. And then I, I, I spent time with them in Geneva, which is the humanitarian headquarters, which was right. phenomenal. Um, you know, then moved um, to Brussels. There I got approached by the uh, Luxembourg Foreign Office. So I worked uh, for them for a while as well, which included, you know, sitting at European Union meetings, NATO meetings. It was phenomenal. It was great. And I think yeah. um I think a lot of people don't understand why I would have not pursued that, but I think it is about a personal choice. Um, And I think I had kind of a, I think you really committed as a public servant to that kind of lifestyle also that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I, I guess I realized over time that I had that more like business entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. kind of as well. And, you know, nobody tells you, I mean, at least for me as a child, nobody told me, uh, maybe as a woman or just as a young a woman in Luxembourg, like that I was going to work in tech startups. I was just like, that was not a thing, right? And I think right, uh, right. after leaving the public sector, I, I moved back to London and I was kind of just like screening my friends that I studied with, where are they at? What are they doing? Going across a little bit and being introduced to different people. I just met, I remember I met the co-founder of the company, the fintech company that I joined. I remember just starting with them thinking, oh, I'll do this while I'm looking for a real job. <laughs> because I thought it was a fun project. Or, and here we are, you know, 10 years later, I'm, you know, pretty much uh, full on in the software and like 
you know, B2B startup right. world. Um, but yeah, no, and I kind of stumbled into it. And I think a lot of people stumble into tech, maybe not these days, but definitely, I don't know, 15 years ago, I very much felt like that. But it, it, I guess it fits me more personally in terms of like work ethic, work style, like how yeah. you can actually build things from scratch, how you can make a real big impact and you're not a little cog in a kind of big, big wheel. Yeah, exactly. Right. And just the change for the rate of change and the ability to affect things, you know, obviously within public service, it's, it's a little bit slower, a few more approvals perhaps are needed to, yeah. uh, to advance agendas and so on and so Still forth. Whereas within tech, it's, yeah, it's just like, you're constantly, there's a lot of iteration going on there and yeah, it's exciting. I think, um, not to say that the other isn't, but it's just, it's faster that the pace is quicker. I would, I would guess. And that to some would be uh, certainly an attractive element. It's more of a like, yeah. Like it, it, also, it also comes with its downs. It's always like, you never know if your company's going to make it. You always have a bit right. more risk. And, you know, things are much more volatile in many ways than the public sector for sure. But I think, mm. again, it's a personal choice, whether that is something yeah. you thrive in or something that kind of um, intimidates you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting having the background in that side and then where you're at right now probably is a bit unique. I'm, I'm guessing that uh, you might uh, have a bit of a, a yeah, a unique uh, stance or viewpoints to what you're doing right now, just based on some of those past experiences. So hmm, it probably serves you well in different uh, capacities. Okay. Well, I have another question here. So again, I understand that with Overstory, you joined that company not that long ago, you know, relatively speaking. And what was that specific, I guess, pull to joining that company per se? Yeah, I think that was a very kind of like a focused search in a way that I did. I I transitioned into tech, which I loved. And I think the, you know, building my career in CS and kind of coming in, into that kind of function and like growing in there has been really great. And I did it in sort of the fintech space, as you alluded to earlier, and then mm -hmm. moving to marketing. And I think, and maybe this is sort of like my COVID <laughs> realization, but I think, uh, you know, I kind of came to the point where I was like, oh, I do kind of want to marry that early career kind of focus on wanting to work on important things and like mm. in the world and like big problems. And now I have like, you know, 10 years of experience in building these teams and like these yeah. functions out. How can I not marry the two together? And I think a lot of people have that maybe after, you know, spending a lot of time at home, sort of like connecting to what's actually more, you know, in line with your values and important to you. And so I, I'm definitely not the only one, but I kind of like just made the decision to, to go after it. And I, I came across, so I think the decision was made that in my next job search, I was going to prioritize the industry and really find mm -hmm. an industry that I want to be a part of for the next 10 to 20 years and like navigate through. And then I think I kind of, there's a lot of talk around climate tech. There's a lot of investment going into it. There's a lot of new startups coming up. There's a really well-organized community around it that I very much just enjoyed kind of networking. In. And I think when that kind of all came together, I became like very laser focused on actually going after that. Yeah. But then it's about like finding the right company. I wanted an early stage company. And like, obviously like they need to have a role that fits your, you know, your skill set essentially. Yeah. Open. Right. So I think for me at, at, after some point, but I also like took my, you know, I took my time and I knew it was going to take a, a little bit of time to, to find the right thing. Right. Right. Well, it sounds like you did. I mean, based on what you <laughs> explained right now, obviously what they're doing, their, their, their mission essentially it would be rewarding to work within. And, uh, and also not only that, we already spoke to this point a few times over, but just the excitement with it as well. The, the technological change is constantly happening. 
And then, uh, you know, feeling that you are able to make an impact and uh, affect things in a positive manner. Yeah, it's got to be rewarding on several different levels. Of course, I'm, I know there's probably challenge and everything that goes along with that. But at the same time, uh, it does sound uh, quite exciting just looking at it from the outside. Yeah, I think there's something unique when when you you hire based on like mission alignment across your employee base. And when you know that that's the thing that's tying everyone together, I think that's a unique and exciting place to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that point in mind, maybe we can segue into another question here. In the work so far and what you have been doing, has there been any, I don't know, particular piece of information or maybe imagery or, or anything that sort of like stood out to you that's hit you in a funny way, in a positive manner, that is? Uh, or struck you in in some some sort of fashion that has remained with you. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was in these like more early earlier stage, I think conversations with Overstory. It was also like it was at the time when the COP conference was ongoing, and I think obviously at that point everyone was talking about it. But it is you know the goals are so clear. You have you know the goals for twenty thirty. You have goals for twenty fifty. Yeah, and it just felt like there was this momentum behind like everyone should just. You, you can contribute in very many different ways. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can go work in a specific climate tech company, but I think it was this kind of conscious that came up and it was like, everyone should work towards it. And I think the number kind of like driven by numbers and there's yeah. a million ways to get to the emissions goals. But I think if everyone kind of like attacks it from different angles, and then for me, it was sort of something like a little bit tangible to hold on to. I also remember like, you know, in December, there were these like crazy wildfires in Boulder, um, yeah. a city that I really like visiting. and. And it felt very relevant and very like, you know, this is winter and you have wildfires in Colorado right, right. Um, and they're incredibly dangerous. And and yeah, so I think it was felt very relevant and it kind of all came kind of into place. I think, I guess, around the time that I was like actually like speaking to this company. And so it felt right. very much kind of re-motivated me to like really um, continue these conversations and uh, focus on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you completely on that. I mean, I feel like every day just you know, getting into social media, there's always, of course, different things, different statistics, different imagery that's constantly being put you know, before you. And uh, I feel like always something that's standing out at the moment that's hitting you in a funny way. Like no, I spent time in Montana, in Montana last summer, and there was definitely like wildfires you could see popping up everywhere. And now we have customers there who say wildfire season is now all year long. It's not a, you know, May to September kind of issue anymore. And even like, I, I'm based out of New York, but there were a couple of days months ago where like the air was like all reddish and it was like the wildfire from california that like literally yeah see it in the air pollution all the way up to new york i think it's something no one can you know avoid anymore exactly i was just about to bring that point up as well it's the air quality issues that even if you're not geographically like set within that area that's at risk for these wildfires you're still going to be hit by some of the uh the after effects of it all so yeah it's, it's real and it's hitting hard most definitely Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I do have one more question within this segment, and it's a bit more on the personal side of things. I'd be curious to know about how this profession has impacted you personally. You know, at times, probably some of these statistics or imagery, it must be hard to kind of like take it all in. You know, you know, perhaps maybe even seeing some trends that are coming down the line that maybe aren't all that great. What does that do to your stress levels, perhaps? Or, or maybe there's different elements within the job that run you ragged at times. I don't know. Maybe you can yeah. speak to that. I'll, I'll go to the positive after. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, listen, I cannot like, you know, joining this company or any other one is like, we're going to solve it all. I think it's sort of like, again, like, I guess maybe now again, you're like that little cognitive big, big yeah. wheel, but it is yeah. very, very satisfying to, to know you're working on something that is like 
working on a topic, even if it's very broad, that like you yeah. care about personally, right? That's mm-hmm. a fact. And I think that's been why I was very happy to join this company, but also just like stick to that decision to enter the world of climate tech and why it's not a decision for this, just this company. It's like for, you know, the my career, basically. I think that yeah. was sort of satisfactory. I mean, yes, then sometimes you read the news around like, you know, the Brazilian president who is going to try and ruin everything before getting out of power and it's depressing or you yeah. hear, you know, like how, you know, even the conflict in Ukraine right now is kind of like, it's not top of mind anymore. It's like kind of almost like taking a little bit of step back because there's priority shifts and, and that's, you know, all of this is completely, you know, horrible things are happening. But I think right. uh, it is, I do also do think that it's more on the agenda than ever. And I think a lot of people were commenting on how at the COP conference, like, much more of the public sector, uh, private sector, sorry, was there. And now there is a lot of talk about like, you know, any company needing to start disclosing um, their, you know, scope one, two, three emissions. And and I don't know, there is still like, it's there, it's like everyone's going to be confronted with it. Everyone's going to be talking about it. And then you can take an approach and be like, you know, see the half glass full or half glass empty. So yeah. I I choose to see it half glass full and like depending on the day kind of like and you know now I'm like more immersed in the topic you know you read more about it you kind of like you know I'm surrounded by people that care about the same things and I think that's motivating overall so I would Mm. see that the positives are outweighing the the negatives for sure okay all right no I think that paints a pretty clear picture kind of view of that world essentially you know some of the elements that could be a bit tough to to work with at times but then also to a lot of the rewarding aspects no doubt okay Mm -hmm. Um, well, let's go into a new segment here, something called a water cooler story. And basically it's a segment where I just ask guests to indulge listeners with a, a story relating to the profession. So yeah, I'll let you take it from here, Lynn, wherever, uh, wherever you'd like to go with it. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, water cooler conversations rarely happen these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's a bit outdated. Eh? <laughs> I, um, no, it's funny. Uh, it's, you know, I also work for a fully remote company and there's like two of us uh, in New York, but, but um, yeah, I think, you know, thinking about like stories like what was again and it comes back a little bit to the same thing I think it's an industry that I found very easy to network in and very kind of exciting to do that in and even like we were meeting in person with everyone in the company a couple of weeks ago in um in Amsterdam and we actually went to a forest and you know met with a forester who explained to us you know the forest which is it was really nice to kind of see and I think that was the conversation or version of the cooler conversation that was happening on a on a bike cycling to your forest in Amsterdam. But I think everyone was sort of like talking around it's one thing when a company is like mission aligned, but it's kind of like being able to transfer that and actually spend a lot of time outdoors and like learn it and having the value so so easily translate was, mm. was exciting. And overall, like again within while I was like looking for this role and speaking to a bunch of other companies in the space, I thought it was very I don't know it's it's people that are kind of joined by a mission they're like this competition doesn't exist so much in it because it's sort of like as long as you contribute as long as you help out it's great so I think working in that space probably compared to like previously whereas in in marketing was like you know everything is a little bit more competitive everyone wants to work with the same brand well here um I think that how the values can translate into how people act and how people talk to each other and, and help each other out is actually, it was kind of a really positive thing that I noticed um, early on at, at Overstory, but also even prior when I was just kind of like speaking to companies in this space. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that it makes sense when I'm hearing it right now for the first time. But yeah, I, I, hmm. I guess like a company or within climate tech, like the values align a little bit better, perhaps obviously say within different industries, it's, you know, profit, profit, profit above everything else more times than not. Right. But within climate tech, maybe that mindset is a little bit different. Of course. I mean, you're, you're out to succeed. You, you want your company to grow, no doubt, but there is this bigger sort of vision. There's bigger sort of like idea of where you want to go. And the reason why you want to go here, you know, is for the betterment of, you know, our planet essentially, right. To put it in simple terms. So there's got to be that almost synergy in a way. I mean, you're in competition with other companies, no doubt, but still there is this sort of like maybe respecting the values of one another and what you are trying to achieve ultimately. And would that be accurate? Something to be said now. I mean, listen, all of these companies need to generate revenue. Of course, of course. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That's just running a business. But I think there's something to be said that I think there's a realization about companies that do it the right way and work on something consistently and like on have a goal in mind and and run a good business versus just sort of like an aggressive business that like is gonna like go through a roof within a day is um, I think there's that's kind of a shift that we're seeing in in the industry in general that those companies do get rewarded Mm -hmm. Um, and companies that are run well and are kind of like keep focused um, and have a clear mission and a clear kind of goal that they go after will do very well. And I think that has been proven a few times now and there's been, you know, and I think we'll see more of that, hopefully at least. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. We do have one more segment here that I would like to get into and it's something called the crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking more towards the future, you know, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And I've already brought this point up already once. It's this rate of technological change. And climate tech is certainly experiencing a lot of this in terms of uh, it moving forward very quickly. So with that in mind, and considering this industry, maybe you could speak to that point a little bit to a degree, but maybe you could kind of expand on that. Yeah, I think that it's almost like the world is infinite. I think that was actually one of the hardest thing when you hear climate tech, that it can be in so many different ways, so many different technologies. So it's actually a little bit overwhelming. And I think the best way of you kind of got to almost like break it down into different sectors. Mm. I think there's obviously the entire like, you know, carbon removal technologies. And then there is this whole world or sector of climate adaptation, which probably we fall into more. And then there is the whole world of sustainability and just generally increasing awareness around it. So kind of breaking that down, but then in terms of technologies, I mean, you see like companies that are doing carbon capture, you are seeing companies that are, you know, building hardware, like tools for regenerative agriculture. There's the whole world of remote sensing, which we're using in terms of the wildfire mitigation and satellite imagery. But then there's the world of um, carbon credit markets that are also using, you know, remote sensing for like carbon verification. Then I haven't even spoken about the whole energy transition and like mobility and transport world, which is, you know, probably still like one of the biggest sectors. And then there's cool things like going on, like apps to reduce food waste. And then there's the whole world of recycling and upcycling. And and even though there are topics, everyone's building whether it's an app around it or uses new technology around it. I think it's almost overwhelming the amount of technology that is right now being applied to it. That's probably why a lot of people struggle to kind of understand what it even means because it means so much right it's just so broad as far as the environmental monitoring goes is there any particular chatter that you're hearing about that things that we might be seeing or might be possible say within the next five to ten years i think there's like the i think there's a lot of work that's going into like 
building or rebuilding the trust in terms of like the carbon credit markets. I think that's been a little bit like the wild, wild mm. west. And now it's gotten a little bit of a re- bad rep with like yeah. everything being greenwashing. And yeah. I think there's yeah. a lot of companies right now like focus on actually using really cool technology to rebuild the trust and actually also originating some of these projects. So I've seen a lot of that stuff, which I find also maybe, maybe it's because I find it also personally very interesting and like fascinating that mm-hmm. I know more yeah. about it. I think remote sensing is being used on a ton of different use cases right now. So I think we'll see more of that. And again, like as more satellites are flying around, right, right, and, right. Uh, you know, being more precise and more accurate and the prices are going down, I'm sure the use cases are going to increase. The world of carbon capture is like, there's so much investment in it. And yeah. it's bit like for me it's still like kind of very hard to sometimes grasp what that even means. same here i just it's read an article about it just a few days ago and it sort of like just blew my mind like one that what, a lot of this is possible and then and also the scale of it i mean to really like yeah. you know leverage that type of technology what has to take place but yeah sorry to yeah. have you off there no and i think the last one i could think of is sort of like there's more and more also software around like carbon accounting and i guess that has to do with as you know even i think in the US at least, there might be new standards on how like public companies need to like report on their emissions. Well, then there needs to be the whole tools kit on how do you do that? How do you do it officially? How do you report on it? And I think it's just obviously a lot of, and there's a lot of, red, a lot of companies already in that space, but there's probably a lot of room for improving that. And once it becomes a regulatory requirement, then it's sort of like free for all. And I mean, those companies will probably also do pretty well if they get it right. Right. Here's one last question really quickly for you, and it might be connected to what you just spoke about. I mean, again, there's a lot of doom and gloom when we're you know, considering the environment and moving forward. But also at the same time, there is optimism. And maybe for you personally, it's related to a lot of this you know, technology, but maybe it's elsewhere. I don't know. Um, in terms of this optimism moving forward, where do you fall within that spectrum? First off, maybe that's the first question. Like, how optimistic are you? And then secondly, what, what is it that kind of gives you the, that, that feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it really depends on the day. I think it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah, I bet, you wake up and you read that, like, you know, oh, there's all these new cool things that we can do to get to certain yeah. goals. And then you, like, wake up the next day and you read how the U.S. has literally, like, been worse the last year than getting better. Yeah. And but, but I think the hopeful thing is that it's on everyone's agenda. Biden has a huge climate change policy that, you know, is trying to get through and kind of it's harder to implement on it. But I think there is... You know, the, I think also the fact that the the private sector is actually now required to do more. Nobody wants to be the company that doesn't have any published goals. Like it's almost right, and, and right, right, software, right. although some of it you might say, okay, it's like fake promises, etc. The fact that pressure is there, everyone has to think it, everyone has to hire their sustainability yeah. officer or whatever it may be. And I think gradually that will obviously increase it. And then I do think like a lot more people want to contribute to this. And I think there's a big movement amongst people like me and like many others that just want to work in this field and the more talent we have in it well the more progress i guess we're going to make so yeah yeah well said well said it's kind of like the the feeling i get as well i sort of like just reading through this information and speaking to people like yourself it's just these issues of awareness and people wanting to know more and then also demanding more from companies that like you said i mean if somebody doesn't have this on their agenda and they're not addressing it adequately they're going to be called out and that's what we need. Obviously, of course, that's exactly what we need to uh, to keep these companies, you know, on the straight and narrow when it comes to their actions and, and what they're doing in the environment, the types of effects that they can have. 
So, I mean, that there is reason for optimism. I think also too, I find myself at times, like at least me personally, the worry at times is like, oh, we can just like tech our way out of these problems, which, you know, to a certain point, perhaps, yes. But I think there's always going to be that limit if we don't start changing our own actions. Mm-hmm. We've got to find that happy balance there. So it's, for me personally, it's kind of like shifting back and forth between those things where it's like, yeah, it's great. We're introducing all this new tech to the market where we can do this, this, and this, which is going to help offset this problem, this problem, this problem. But if we're not careful and we don't adjust our own habits, well, you know, it's never going to be enough really. So yeah, like you said, it probably comes back to uh, the day, the feeling, the emotion you're having on that particular day when you're considering these issues. Yeah, but then there's a lot of talk around like how like the generations are younger than us, even Gen Z, like they grew up like knowing and talking about climate change. Like they hear about it, I think, and I don't think at five years old, I was able to explain climate change or was that aware of it. Now someone who's like, ask a six, I don't know this, but like six or seven year olds on the street, they probably would have heard about climate change. And it's like, it's much more reality for them. And I think that generation and like Gen Z and earlier are probably much more aware of it at a very young age and are going to probably adapt their lives much more to it, hopefully, than, than, than even our generation has. Yeah, most definitely. Alrighty. Well, I think we got through everything here, Lynn, and uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. And I really thank you for your time and, and sharing all these insights. So thanks again for coming onto the program. Thank you. For those interested in learning more about Lynn and her work, you can find and connect with her via LinkedIn or through the company she works at, Overstory, at www.overstory.com. Also, too, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. I mean, hey, I think it's great if we can learn a little bit more about one another, the stresses, the pressures, the joys, all of that stuff. And in doing so, it helps think lessen that divide or that tribalism. So that's never going to be a bad thing. Please share. Also to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And also to head on over to YouTube. We do have a channel there under Life As A. We can catch full video conversations, much like the one we had today with Lynn. And each episode there starts with a slideshow too. So you can kind of add some imagery to the conversation itself. And if you do go there, please be sure to hit subscribe. Please be sure to tune into the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details, professions, and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.